we are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our November luncheon with Pastor Lee Martin. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Thank you, guys. Wow, I love both those guys. They are truly my brothers. Um, Great to see everybody. Thanks for coming out uh, today. Man, I've been looking forward to this. I think some of you know I was supposed to speak back in September, and uh, I got COVID like two days beforehand, and... uh, and God had really laid this passage of scripture on my heart that I wanted to share because it's meant a lot to me. And I always see new rich things in this passage of scripture. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn over to 1 Samuel, the 14th chapter. You can take that out on your phone. I'd love for you to take out your phone to take a couple notes maybe as well uh, because there's a few things I wanna say. The, the, the thing I wanna do, because I'm, I'm a normal guy, so I, I have an ego and it's hard sometimes to go, what, what do I want to happen out of this? And there's this part of me that's like, I want these guys to respect me. I want these guys to think I'm a good communicator. I want these guys to think I'm a good leader. But really, when I just lay that before the Lord, I'm like, that's not really what I want. In the flesh, that's what I want. Because I know so many of you, I respect so many of you. I'm like, I wanna, I wanna be a player among this kind of group of men. But that's not really what I want. What I really want is that we would walk out of here today with some tools that would sharpen us, like some things that would help us practically in the way we're trying to live out our lives as men of God. And so that's why I would say, if you're gonna take some notes, take a few notes today, um, because I think maybe this will help you the same way that it helped me. That, that's my prayer, at least. So let's start with this. I, I, some of you have heard me share this story before, but uh, you may or may not know who the, who the explorer Ernest, or Ernest Shackleton is, okay? He was, a, he was a polar explorer back at the turn of the 19th, 1900s, and uh, he was in this battle against uh, a guy named Edmondson to get to the to the South Pole to be the first person to get to the South Pole. And he was putting together an expedition, and it, it's an it's kind of an apocryphal story. Some people say it really happened. Some people say that it didn't happen. But he put out an advertisement in the London newspaper, and this is what it said. Let's, let's throw a picture of that up here if we have it. He said, "Men wanted." For hazardous journey, small wagers, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. He needed a marketing guy, I think, for his campaign. Like he started with all the terrible things about what was going to happen and then this little thing at the end, well, maybe you'll get some recognition if, if, we, if we survive, you know? The next day, 1,600 men showed up to answer this advertisement and 150 women showed up, even though it said men wanted large at the top. Why is that? Why is it that that many people would read this terribly worded advertisement and show up the next day saying, I wanna sign up for that? Well, I know why, and you know why. Because something in all of our hearts, and I think especially for us as men, Something in all of us longs for an adventure, some kind of a a challenge that's greater than ourselves. Listen, we were built to pick up and carry a weight that's worthy of the nobility of being made in the image of God. In the book of Luke, Jesus said it this way. This is the Lee paraphrase. He said, if you want to follow me, pick up the cross. 
One of the heaviest things, not just literally, but, but spiritually and figuratively. Pick up your cross and follow me. Carry it against all odds. Maybe losing yourself in the process only to find who you really are in me. He says, you can gain everything in the whole world and it will never add up to following me and living for me. Nothing will be of that value. Maybe some of you have, have seen this statement. I, I, just, I just saw this quote uh, this year and I thought, man, this is good. It's from a guy named uh, G. Michael Hopf. He was a novelist in the 20th century. And uh, I've seen this, I, I, there's a few YouTube guys that I like to watch and I've heard a couple of them use this and, and this is how it goes. I think we got a slide for it. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Look at that. It makes sense. Like all throughout history, we've seen this pattern play out. What scares me about this is I feel like we're maybe there in number three. Here in America, we've experienced quite a bit of success, prosperity, technological advancement, and I fear that it's made us as a people weaker. That doesn't mean that all of us in this room have to be weak. We can be strong men regardless of the circumstances around us, but I fear we're living in a world where easy times have made for weak people to face the challenges in front of us. And so, unlike Shackleton who said strong men wanted, I'm suggesting today, strong men are needed. Amen? Strong men are needed. This is a room full of men who could potentially be strong and in doing so, they could, they could create easy, good, peaceful times. But it won't happen if we're not strong. Cicero was a Roman philosopher and he said this, there are two kinds of injustice. The man who injures another and the man who fails to act on behalf of the one being injured. Here's what I wanna suggest today. Perhaps the greatest enemy of men today, and I want you to think about this for yourself. Perhaps the greatest enemy for men today is, is not lust. I mean, that's a big one. Many of us in this room have fought that struggle, fought that battle with lust, but maybe that's not the greatest enemy. Maybe it's not pride, even though most men, a lot of alpha males in here, you have to fight back pride in your life, but maybe that's not the biggest enemy. Maybe it's not greed. Maybe it's not porn. Maybe it's not addiction. Maybe it's not violence. Maybe it's not anger. I'm suggesting that maybe the one that contributes to all of those, the greatest enemy of men today is passivity. Passivity. To stay put, to do nothing when men need to act. And you don't have slides for this, but I was thinking about this after I sent in the slides. I think passivity takes different forms. And so I wanna talk to different groups of you in this room. Here's the first one. You don't have a slide, but you could write this down. Passivity uh, takes different forms, and the first one is the passivity of losing heart. Losing heart. What is this? This is losing the desire that maybe you once had to move forward against opposition and instead just pursuing comfort in your life. So who am I talking to? I think all of us can, can deal with this kind of passivity, but I'm talking to, to older men 
men my age and older, I think this is a danger for us. Let me ask you these questions. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Have you, have you lost your will to fight? See, there's this temptation to think that starting something new or facing a big challenge or taking a big risk, there's a temptation in some of you my age and older to say, that's a young man's game, right? I did that a long time ago, but now I've established myself, I'm comfortable, I, I can take my foot off the gas. That's a young man's game to get in there and push myself and take, take a new horizon. And that's the enemy in your life. Passivity can come in losing heart. You know what this makes me think of? Anybody in here like the movie Braveheart? It's one of my favorite movies. There's this scene where William Wallace has been kind of marching through Scotland. He's about to get to England. And uh, King Longshank sends his, his son's wife to go and meet and try to negotiate some peace before it gets out of hand. And, and she and William Wallace have this conversation in her tent and remember what she says? She says, I come with a message from the king. I come to offer you titles and lands. I come to offer you this chest of gold. And Wallace says this, he says, titles and lands and chests of gold, what? So that I can be Judas? And she says this, love this line. She says, peace is made in such ways. And do you remember what he says? Slaves are made in such ways. Don't you think for a second that the enemy is not gonna come to you and barter peace, offer you comfort. Hey, you did your time. You led the way. You broke the ground. Now, settle down. Slow down. Get, get comfortable. You've earned it. Slaves are made in such ways. This is a cage for strong men. Listen, the enemy doesn't have to make you corrupt if he can just make you comfortable. Here's another way that passivity presents itself. The passivity of living in fear. And I think this can impact all of us, no matter your age, no matter your place in life. The fear of engagement, the fear of being honest, the fear of losing what you have, what you've worked so hard to attain. Here's the thing about fear. Fear paralyzes us. Fear neutralizes us. Fear makes us impotent. I got some of your attention with that, didn't I? Hold on, what's he talking about there, right? I'm not talking about what Viagra's trying to fix. Impotent, meaning without power. That's what fear does to you. It paralyzes you. And it's the number one thing that God says in his word that we've got to guard against. Did you know that? The number one command all throughout the Old and New Testament is basically some version of fear not. Don't be afraid. Why would God say it so much? Because we're so susceptible to it and it renders us powerless to do anything in the world in his name. You know what this makes me think of? Another movie, Saving Private Ryan, one of my favorites. You remember this scene at the end in the Battle of Ramel and Private, what was his name? Mellish is upstairs 
and he encounters a German soldier on the second level of that building, and they get into a hand-to-hand combat. You remember, it's a very uncomfortable scene because you know how it ends. The German soldier is on top of him, slowly pushing the bayonet's blade into his chest and killing him, but all the while, Corporal Upham, do you remember? He's on the stairs, just right around the corner. He's got a machine gun in his hand. He's got ammo draped over his shoulders, but he's standing there shaking with fear. He could go up. He could save his friend, but instead he's afraid of what he'll encounter if he goes up there, afraid of what it might cost him. And so he stays paralyzed. His friend dies and he's so weak and paralyzed that when the large German soldier comes around the corner to go down the stairs, he looks at him. He is so much not a threat that he just walks right past him and back out into the battle. Fear can paralyze you and make you powerless And don't you think for a second that the enemy is not going to bombard you with fears of all the things that you might lose if you truly follow Jesus and accept the God-sized mission that he's given for your life. What you might lose if you changed your lifestyle, if you rearranged your schedule, if you reoriented your priorities, if you changed how you spend your money. What kind of trouble might that cause cause with your boss? What kind of trouble might that cause with your wife? What kind of trouble might that cause with your kids or even with yourself? And we fail to ask the most important question. The question that the enemy does not want any of us asking is, what might it cost if we don't? Not just us, but our families and the world into which we were born at this time, right now. What might it cost if we stay fearful and neutralized and powerless? Listen, the enemy doesn't have to make you fail if he can just make you fearful. Here's the third one. The passivity of never really growing up. This is an unwillingness to stop being selfish, to not only refuse to put the needs of others above ourselves, but really to not think about them much at all to be boys in men's bodies. Those of you that are in your 20s and your 30s and maybe some of us in our 40s, this is a temptation to never grow up. Jordan Peterson, Canadian psychologist, calls this the Peter Pan story. I'd never seen this in Peter Pan until I saw him laying this out. Peter Pan is the boy that refuses to grow up. And why would he? What a life he has, right? And the only example of an adult in his life is Captain Hook. And he doesn't want to trade the the blissfulness of his youth to be an adult like Captain Hook. I mean, Captain Hook's incomplete. He doesn't even have a hand. And why doesn't he have a hand? Because the crocodile of chaos, remember in the story, has the the ticking clock inside of him. It's, it's uh, It's the idea of time. Time has taken a piece of us as adults, and eventually it will devour us completely. And if you're a little older, you know that. What was it, Al Pacino's character in Any Given Sunday? He's like, when you get older, things get taken from you. And you don't realize that until you get older. That's Captain Hook. He's on the run constantly because time is on his heels and it means to devour him. And that's what Peter Pan says. I don't want any part of that. I'd rather stay a boy where I have all this potential. And not to mention, he is the king of where? Neverland. Nothing. A land that doesn't really exist except in his mind. Oh, and he's a leader, but of who? The lost boys of whom he's the chief. And some of you in this room 
You're starting to put some accolades behind your name, but you refuse to grow up. And you're the chief of the lost boys. And what about Tinkerbell? And I had never seen this before. Peterson said Tinkerbell is the fairy of porn. A relationship with a woman that demands nothing of you. And that's where a lot of you are. Just turn to that because there's no demands made on me to be the kind of man I need to be in a relationship when I can find gratification here. The passivity of never growing up. Listen, to grow up means to choose to sacrifice, to give up some of what's fun and easy now for the weight and the significance of, and the weight and the significance and wisdom of, that only comes through hard work and commitment and selflessness and faithful obedience. And don't you think for a second that the enemy is not involved in all those thoughts that run through your head, that you're not really ready to give up all the hobbies that you most enjoy, that you're not really ready to settle down and not just make all the decisions for yourself and be in total control of your life, that you're not really ready and and why would anyone want to take all of my income and, and spread it out to my family when I can spend it all on myself? Don't you think he's not behind those lies? See, the enemy doesn't have to make you immoral if he can just keep you immature. And if you remain passive, you will remain powerless. And the cost of that is inestimable to you and to a lot of other people. Shackleton said strong men needed, but for the world we live in, that's not enough strong men. He said strong men wanted. The world we live in, strong men are needed. Desperately. And I know you probably have your reasons, good reasons, for remaining passive. But so do the people of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 14 You might notice that right before this in chapter 13, we get a picture of what's going on in the lives of the men of God in Israel. They were defeated. They had been routed by the Philistines, their enemy. In fact, they had been so humiliated that they they didn't have any weapons. King Saul and his son Jonathan were the only two men in Israel that had a sword. Everyone else just had farm utensils and even those they had to take to the Philistines and pay a very high price just to get them sharpened and maintained. They were defeated. They were on the run. They were scared and in hiding from their enemy. And maybe you're feeling that way today. Maybe you feel defeated. Maybe you feel disarmed, unsure how to fight the battle that's in front of you. Maybe you're in hiding. There's a lot of men that will come into a room like this, shake hands, greet people, but you're hiding I understand that, I've been there. But in in walks Jonathan into this story. Jonathan is the king's son. He has a friend with him, an armor bearer, a guy that carries his shield with him as he carries his, his sword into battle. But Saul is afraid. Saul is hiding, it says, out on the outskirts of the kingdom. He has an army of over 600 men, but, but he's unwilling to act. And Jonathan comes to a point that I think some of you need to come to today, and that is, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing, I'm going to act. I'm gonna do something. I'm not just gonna sit here and be defeated. I'm gonna act. I'm gonna do something. And so he says, 
let's go. I love that. Just let's go. That's what he says. Look at 1 Samuel 14, verse six. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, those last two statements are really interesting. Jonathan has all this faith. He's like, nothing can stop the Lord from saving whether by many or by few, like we can go just the two of us and we can see a victory because it doesn't matter to God. But then the line before that doesn't seem to have quite the same faith. He says, perhaps the Lord will work or act in our behalf. Either way, I'm going. You see, there's a risk. It takes courage to act. That's why no one else in Israel had stepped up yet. They were passive, but Jonathan is not. Now, what about you? Are you willing to trust God and move forward? Move in the direction of the step that you sense that God is leading you to take. What's your perhaps? Think about that for a second. What's your perhaps? You know what that step is. You sense it. Maybe it's, I, I need to be more involved in church. Maybe it's, I need to start reading the word of God. Everybody says that's a good idea and I've never really done it. I need to start praying. I need to begin a conversational relationship with God. We've been here a long time and we've never really given. I need to figure out how to honor God with my money. Some of you are feeling and sensing a step that you know God wants you to take, but you're not sure. You're afraid about it. You're passive about it. What's your perhaps? Maybe it doesn't work out exactly the way you think it is, but God honors those who have a bias to action and move forward even when they don't know what the outcome is. That's the purpose of faith. That's why it requires trust and courage. Look at these two things from that first passage in 1 Samuel 14. Faith in God overcomes our fear of defeat. For you to get unstuck from passivity, you're gonna have to put your faith in God that if you step forward, no, even if you don't know what the outcome is, he has you and he will lead you into what is good. And here's the second thing. Courage to take a step initiates the impossible. I love that because of what's about to happen in this text. Courage to take a step unlocks, opens up an opportunity for something to happen that you could not have predicted would happen, for something to happen that is supernatural in nature in your life or for your family or at your job, but it won't happen until you take that step, until you move forward. Erwin McManus, pastor and author, says this. This is so good. We have defined holiness through what we separate ourselves from rather than what we give ourselves to. I'm convinced the greatest tragedy is not the sins that we commit, but the life we fail to live. You cannot follow God in neutral. God has created you to do something, and more specifically, to do good. Something I want you to see in this text before we move on is God encourages us, he calls us to be courageous, but not stupid. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying from this text. I'm not saying whatever you see in front of you, just take off toward it. No, no. God says be courageous in your action, but don't be stupid. How do we know that? Because two things happen in this text. First, Jonathan, he lays out a test. Remember Gideon laid out the fleece to kind of see where God was leading? Jonathan does that. He says, we're gonna go over to those Philistines and we're gonna, we're gonna yell up at them. We're gonna let them see us. And if they say, 
stay down there. We're going to come down there to you guys. Then we're going to know that God's not in it. But if, but if they say, come on up here to where we are, we'll know that God has delivered them into our hands. He had a test. And that's always good when you're about to take a big, bold step of faith. Talk to somebody else. Think about that step before you take it. But the second thing he did was he didn't go alone because that's stupid too. You got a big God-sized mission in front of you, a step to take, don't do it alone. You were never meant to do it alone at least, even though, even though no one else will take a step. He has this armor bearer with him and I love the line, his armor bearer, whenever he, Jonathan tells his armor bearer the plan, he says, I'm with you. Do whatever you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. And we all need a friend like that. Look at this second thing. So first he says, let's go. The second thing he says is, climb up with me. That's what he says to his armor bearer. Because they do say it. They, they, the Philistines look down and they say, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you come on up here? We're gonna teach you a lesson. That's what they say in the text. And Jonathan goes, there we go. That's our cue. Now, climb up with me. Verse 12. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Listen, courage increases alongside a trusted friend. You ever notice that? I mean, duh, we all know that. You're playing basketball at the park. Things get a little rough, right? You got two or three guys that are ready to put a pounding on you and then you look over and your friend just showed up. Your courage changes a lot, right? When you're by yourself, you're like, I'm trying to figure out how, where I can run into the woods. But then your friend shows up, especially if he's a big friend, right? And you're like, okay, now we're ready to scrap. Courage increases when you have a friend at your side. And winning gets easier when someone has your back. Man, you can have all the courage in the world to take a bold step of faith, but if you do it alone, your odds of success significantly decrease. Who's got your back? I love this passage in Ecclesiastes 4. It's one of my favorite passages. It's talking about friendship, and it says, one man in battle will fall, but two who fight back to back can defend themselves. Who has your back? That's what happened in the story here. Jonathan is pushing forward, but if he doesn't get everybody or if somebody tries to sneak up behind him, his armor bearer is there to have his back. Your courage will increase with friends and winning becomes easier with someone at your back. Who has your back? And here's the other thing that I want you to think about. Whose God-sized mission are you supporting? I'm gonna say that again because I think everybody in the room would expect me to say, hey, who's got your back? You need to have that friend in your life that's supporting you in what you're, you're, what you're doing. But this is what I really want you to walk out of here thinking. Who in your life do you need to have their back? I tell my boys, boys all the time, if you wanna have great friends in your life, be a great friend. If you know how to be a great friend, you will have lots of great friends. Somebody in your life needs to take a step in their marriage. 
and you know it, and they know it. Somebody in your life wants to get better as a dad. Somebody in, in your life, you know, and they're, they're trying to have integrity in their career or build a business that honors God. Who in your life can you get behind them and support what they're doing as you have others who support what you're doing? Here's the last one. Jonathan says, let's go. He moves. He's not passive. He says, come with me. He brings somebody with him. But, but I love this last part. It's not always seen. The Lord rescued all his people. I thought we were just talking about Jonathan and his armor bearer. No, no, no. See, the actions of Jonathan and his armor bearer and the actions of each one of us have the potential to open up salvation and goodness and peace and freedom for other people. Because of Jonathan and his armor bearer's courage and their willingness to take action, the whole battle turned Not just that little battle of 20 men in the first acre. No, the whole battle of both nations turned. It was a national battle. How could one man and his faithful friend completely change the outcome of the war? Because God controls outcomes. Second Chronicles 16 says this, the eyes of the Lord are looking. They range throughout the earth, looking for men whose hearts are committed to him that he may strengthen them. Now think about that for a second. The eyes of the Lord are looking over this room. They're ranging throughout the earth. And and what is he looking for? He's he's looking for men whose hearts are, are committed, are turned to him. And what will he do for those men? He will strengthen them. Strong men Create easy times and peaceful times and times of freedom and times of flourishing, not just for themselves, but for everyone around them. Strong men are needed, you, me, and it can completely change not just the course of our lives, but the course of our legacy, the course of the people who are counting on us. Look, look there in verse 22 and 23. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run. What is this? This is a bunch of fighting men who were defeated and disarmed. They had hidden away in caves and forests because they didn't want to die. They didn't want to lose what they had. But isn't it interesting that when they heard that that the battle was turning because of the courage of this one man and his good friend, they started coming down on the hills. Their courage was increased. And what does it say? They joined the battle and in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved the whole nation of Israel and the battle moved on, pushed the Philistines out of the area and to beth Listen, two things out of this section. Living out God's mission benefits and blesses others, not just you guys. And secondly, our faith and our courage changes things for those that we love. I mean, it would be enough if I shared with you some some practical things that would help you when you walk out of here. But God is so good that it's more than that. When we pursue him, it doesn't just help us. It changes things for the people that are around us. So here's the question. Who's counting on you? Those who work for you? those who live in your home, the brothers that are maybe around the table where you sit, people are counting on you to be a strong, godly man. You see, strong, godly men don't just make easy times. 
They make healthy homes. They make for impactful churches. Strong, godly men build businesses of integrity that bring success not just to themselves, but to others. Strong, godly men raise up free and fearless children. Strong, godly men love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself fully on her behalf. Strong, godly men are disciples who are in the business of making more disciples. Strong men are needed today as much as ever. And I really believe you are those strong men. You are those strong men. If you will allow God to build that in you, don't be passive. With faith, with courage, move forward. We'll do that together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what might a room full of strong men like this do in not just our city, but in the world? God, I know that that prayer sounds grandiose, but you are a grandiose God. And the number of people that are represented in this room, those that we have influence on, those who are part of our families, it's almost innumerable, God. So what could a room like this of strong, godly men do? God, we want to find out. God, guide us. God, lead us. God, give us courage that we might not be passive, but like Jonathan, we would move and we would go together. Every head bowed right now, every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Some of you, you've been stuck. You've been stuck in the passivity of fear. You've been stuck in the passivity of not growing up. You've been stuck in the, in the passivity of losing heart. And you're saying, no more. I want to move. I want to move toward Jesus, which is the same as taking a step toward life. And so I want to give you a chance to respond right now. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand really high right now. If you're like, I'm ready to move. Okay, great. Lots of hands going up. I'm gonna give you just a second. I'm ready to move. I'm sick of being passive. I'm sick of being powerless. I'm sick of being defeated. I'm sick of being disarmed. I know the world is a dark, scary place right now. I know I don't wanna lose what I've gotten, but I don't wanna stay still. I don't wanna be neutral. Anybody else? Lots of hands have already gone up. Okay. Then men, let's pray this prayer together. You just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender to you. Give me courage to move forward. Help me, God, to take the step that's right in front of me. Empower my step, God. Thank you, Jesus, for being a finisher, for picking up what's heavy and setting the example for me. I trust you, Jesus, as I move forward. I repent of the sin that's holding me back, and I turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Brotherhood, let's put our hands together for those who took that step today. And I love that you guys are taking that step.
I hope this was helpful. Did that help somebody today? Okay, I hope so. Because, man, that's been helping me. That stuff's really been helping me. Mark and Johnny kind of laid this out at the beginning, but I want to double down on it. Look at this. I was just back in the back talking to Tom Shaughnessy before this started, and I was just like, look at this room. Like, (laughs) what's represented in this room? businesses and families and leadership and skills and ability. Like it's, it's unbelievable what's in this room. We want to steward this well. We do, guys. And I know maybe some of you are here for the first time. Maybe, maybe you don't come to our church and you just came to check this out. We are so glad that you're here. Join in what we're doing. See, I don't, I don't like to call brotherhood the ministry to men at Church on the, on the Move. I like to call it the movement of men. It's a movement that I want you to be a part of. We're not just here to gather for, for breakfast on Friday morning to you know, just kind of get our batteries recharged and then go out and have a good Friday. That's, that's, that's way too small of a goal. I would love for Church on the Move and this group of men right here to be known in this city, to be known around the world as men who are living this kind of life. Boy, those guys at Church on the Move, that's a different group of guys, man. Those guys are moving forward. That's what I want. And I want you to be a part of this movement. But as Mark and Johnny said, like, it it can't be built and happen on the backs of just a handful of incredibly faithful people. We need more help. So today, Take your phone out. Text the word brotherhood to 23101. Click on the link there that says volunteer, get involved, and find a spot where you can serve because when you do that, it makes more room for more guys to be a part of a movement that has the power to change outcomes in the world. So if you haven't engaged your gifts, if you're not serving anywhere, this is a great place to serve, and I hope that you'll do that. Pastor George coming up next week. Isaac Whitty here this weekend. Man, we're excited about it. And uh, one more thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, We've been in some meetings lately. The weekend, the first weekend of February, we're having our Brotherhood Summit Conference again. So put that on your calendar. First weekend of February. We want to see you there. We're already working on some incredible speakers. But, you know, it's not about coming and just hearing speakers. It's about us being together, rallying together Focusing on the same thing, men on a mission, and and really starting out 2022 in a powerful, momentum-filled way. So put that on your calendar. First weekend of February 2022, we want you to be a part of the conference. 